Listener Production. Hello and welcome to this special series of The Weekend Briefing. It's called On Topic and it's where I, Jamila Rizvi, that's me, talk to some of my favourite guests, old and new, about a single fascinating subject. Over the next two months, you'll hear from singers, writers, models, actors and changemakers on topics as diverse as power and influence, mindset and money, bodies and brains. Up first is M. Rossiano, who has her finger in every piece of the performing pie. Em has co-hosted Breakfast Radio, sold out the Sydney Opera House and released chart-topping songs and award-winning books and audiobooks. Last year, Em addressed the National Press Club in Canberra, speaking about her ADHD and autism diagnoses and calling for policy reform. She joined me to speak about neurodiversity and the diagnoses that changed her life. Hey, Em Rossiano, welcome to the Weekend Briefing. Hey, Jamila Rizvi, thanks for having me. Hey, it's been a while because I reckon you were probably in the first five people I ever asked to come on the weekend briefing and I have waited. You are the one I have waited for, but you are here now and better Mm. late than never. I'm very Mm. happy to have you. Mm. It was nothing personal. Obviously, you're one of my nearest and dearest pals, but I was all sewn up with Spotify and couldn't go to Arrival, but now I'm free as a bird. So I'm yours. Now that sounds delightful and (laughs) sweet and cool, but being free as a bird in the media industry when you're a big and established name like you, that's not it. Like that's not an easy decision to make going out on your own. There's risk in that. Tell yeah. me how you how you came to that call. <sighs> I love how you're asking like you didn't receive 18,000 panicked phone calls from me in the lead up. But that's cool. Let's <laughs> role play. Um <laughs> Thank you for calling me a big and established name. I would challenge that. I would say I'm a niche name with a dedicated audience. I've always done best when I back myself and when I make things for my people specifically rather than trying to appeal to a big general broad demographic. And when you're trying to have a career in the mainstream media, you have to appeal to everybody, but then you end up in a spot where you kind of appeal to nobody. And... The podcast, when I started making it, was very much just my best friend and I, Michael Lucas, in my roof. We're in the pandemic. I had no aspirations for it other than it was just stopping me going insane. And then it just kept growing and growing. And I just kind of said to my manager and my team, I reckon we need to go out on our own. And it's been really good. It worked. People subscribed. I'm paying for everything independently. I am my own CEO. I own the content and I'm a creator who's actually getting paid for stuff because so many of us don't and not many people make money in podcasting. So it was just a case of backing myself, looking at the precedents and in the past when I've done this, it has worked. And why should I doubt that that won't be the case this time? And I jumped off the cliff and the audience came with me and that's it. <laughs> I mean, again, it sounds great. It sounds amazing and it has been. You've had a you've you've had a really successful launch. But I'm interested in the feelings that go on behind that Ugh. because it is a really I was talking to a friend the other day who was saying 
she, she's in her early 40s and she was saying it's a bigger deal now. It's not like I'm 22 and making a big call about moving overseas or changing jobs or whatever doesn't have consequences. Mm. And when you've got a family who rely on you, when you've got a mortgage to pay, when you've got staff whose mm. jobs rely mm. on you and whose their families and mm. rent and whatever it might be relies on you, mm. it's a much bigger call to make. So I sort of want to understand what, what do you weigh up in your head or do you go up or do you go on gut? Yes. I generally go on gut because my head tends to just run in circles like a drunk dog, like a Jack mm. Russell who's it, it I get caught in the spiraling sticky thought scenario and also, you know, women over the age of 40 aren't really encouraged to reinvent themselves and take risks. We're kind of encouraged to wind down and head out to pasture. And I've always rebelled against that idea because I think about my audience and they, like me, you know, graduated high school at the end of the 90s. We were finding ourselves in the early 2000s and it's only 2023. I have so much more to give and I imagine there are women out there who are my age, a bit younger, a bit older, who also feel that same way. Yeah. So I need to lead by example for them. And so when I make these decisions, I really do think about my audience and what I would, you know, can I lead by example? Can I encourage more women? And by extension, if I'm encouraging them, they're going to encourage me and they're going to get on board with what I'm doing. And in terms of my staff, my team was so supportive and they just said, we will come with you no matter what. A lot of them have been working hours. I haven't asked them to work and they turn up and they've made videos and they've had, you know, they've had ideas for the website. My team go above and beyond and I could never pay them for the amount of hours they're actually working. But I I love what I've created here. We start at midday and we take breaks. We have noise cancelling headphones. We have quiet rooms. We have places to go when everything's too much. We talk very frankly and openly. I've created this neurodivergent workspace where everyone is valued for who they are and what they can offer and when they can offer it. So I think the team were never in doubt and the team always backed me. They, no one ever seemed worried. I feel like I was the only one awake at 2am thinking, oh God, I've let everyone down. But I just, I don't know, I just got this feeling of if not now, when, and if not me, who? And so far, so good. But in terms of taking the risk and how it feels, it's terrifying. But I have to always remind myself that in the past it has worked and why won't it be exactly the same now? You said that there's not a lot of people out there making content for women who are over 40 because the expectation is that women who are over 40 as performers sort of disappear mm. from mm. from view and yet as as a consumer of mm. of content i find particularly say in the music space i i'm looking for someone who's going to talk to me and mm. I, and i feel like most music that's released is about new sex new mm. relationships or new breakups mm. and i'm not doing those three things because I've Mm-mm. been with my partner for a long time now, but I'm still, I'm no less interested in music. I'm not mm. playing music to listen Mm-mm. to in the car or at home less than I used to be. Mm. So why do you think that gap exists and how do we force the powers that be to start <laughs> filling it? The gap exists because of the patriarchy. I mean, we all know that. And, you know, I I could write a catchy song about the way my husband breathes and how it annoys me. And that is relatable content. (laughs) I would listen to that. (laughs) (laughs) If it had a good beat. Exactly. The music industry is inherently misogynist. I've worked in commercial radio. You don't play anyone over the age of 25. 
uh, because the music industry was set up by horny 50-year-old straight white blokes. That's basically it. And those systems are in place. Um, the misogyny has been internalised by every single person that's ever been around that system. So when a, an artist is presented to them, if they are over a certain age, straight away it's considered old, decaying, and people listening don't want to be reminded that they're ageing. You know, I was once told on radio that people don't want to hear two women talking together in a show. That's why you'll never <laughs> hear a female-female show and that women should be there for a laugh track. This is legitimately said to my face in 2012. That's the attitudes happening around the people playing music. And then you see, like, recently we've had Kylie hitting the charts again with Padam. Madonna's had two hits in the last week. Both those women are obviously over the age of 40 and sadly being compared, which is ageist and misogynist because we don't compare Dua Lipa and Lizzo, who are similar age. You know, it's okay for those two to release singles and be in their 20s and early 30s. So I think changing the standard is changing our own thoughts, but also challenging our own misogyny, our own internalised view of what is beautiful, relevant, current, what's worth consuming, who are we giving our money to, do they represent us? You know, just simple things like doing a stock take on the people you're following on social media. Do they represent how you think and feel or do they make you feel bad about yourselves because they're lying about what's going on in their life? So the change has to happen with the audience, which is what I'm pushing for so hard. It's not going to happen at radio stations and television stations. But I realise I go straight to the people who consume me and say, hey, come on, let's let's go, let's do this together. I am you, you are me. Let's make stuff that matters to us. We have a lot of life left to go. And the other things that people are doing don't relate to us in any way. I cannot connect. So mm. it's about the audience changing with leaders going, you know, like me jumping up and down and saying, look, please look at what I'm making. I'm representing you. That's the only way it's going to happen. And the internet's enabling that now, obviously. You can go out and find your own crew and, and your own crowd and that's what people are starting to do. And so many of those rules, in inverted commas, those kind of, you know, two women on radio don't work together or we don't program artists above 25 because they're past their use by date or we do mm. this or we don't do this, so much of that is about what works mm. and the what works has been passed down from person to person to person mm. and all it takes is someone to start challenging that and saying, why does only that work? And does it mm. even work anymore? Or mm. are we just assuming that what worked for us in the early 90s still sticks? Mm, totally. You're absolutely correct. One of the favourite sayings in radio is let's not reinvent the wheel. And I remember <laughs> being in there going, I want to blow the wheel up. Oh, yeah, get rid of the oh, wheel. I want a hovercraft. I don't want anything to do with the wheel. We need some change. But also women over 40... We have so much knowledge. We have so much to give. We have like all this wealth of life experience for people to chew on and learn from. And that's the time that systems start to shut us down and shut us up because it's almost like they don't want our knowledge getting out there. We don't, we, let's just paint them as angry and let's gaslight them so no, the young women don't listen to the older women with all the knowledge. As I've gotten to that age, I'm now realising just how prevalent it is, how that attitude of, now mm. shut her up. Shut her up. She's angry. She's bitter. She's wrinkly. Gravity's taken over her tits. She does not matter. Shut her up. Shut her up. I think now that I'm here and people are trying to make me quiet, it just makes me want to make more noise. Mm. You talked about how you're making your work place and your workspace physically somewhere mm. where neurodivergent employees can thrive. Mm. I feel like you're also trying to do that in an audio sense, trying to create a community where that's the mm. case. Mm. Can you take those who are listening back to the middle <laughs> of the pandemic when you started to realise something wasn't quite right and you started exploring whether or not you might be neurodivergent? Yeah, I mean, 
My whole life I've felt like I've had to put like a human skin suit on and go and play act as a human. I've always felt a bit off, to be honest. Uh, but I never really knew that there was a name for it. My whole life I just, there's a lot of shame around being different and I just thought it meant I was a bad person. And I think the the pandemic and the, and the way that I kind of buried that was being chronically busy. I wore busy as a badge of honour. Busy was my identity. Busy meant successful. And then when all that fell away during the pandemic, all my usual coping techniques, just a house of cards, I, it was just blown out. Mm. And I found myself, I was living like half the pace of life that I'd been living before the pandemic, but I was not coping with just the everyday minutiae of life and having to have five people at home and organise them and just answer emails. I was just tired all the time. I went to the doctors, as I've said, you know, many times initially thinking it was an iron deficiency. And look, it was that, but it was also ADHD and then I later found out autism and then I later found out my exhaustion was just due to burnout and masking and you know, having to kind of sit with myself in a quiet space during the pandemic and realise I'm not okay and I'm no longer able to pretend that I'm okay. And putting that kind of investment in yourself, especially as a mother and as a woman over a certain age, it feels selfish and scary and indulgent almost because you've got all these other people to worry about. But I did that and I don't know, it's just been this whole new meeting of myself. I felt like I was introduced to M for the first time, you know, when I was around 41, which is a wild concept. Yeah. And I realised, especially now I'm 44, I need to turn around and kind of face M again, but I'm not quite sure who she is. So I'm going through this whole, who actually, who am I when I'm not masking and I'm not being everyone else's version of me. Who is the person, if it's just her alone to her core, that's what I'm trying to figure out now. And I think a lot of women of my age, neurodivergent or not, they turn around and they realise they've lost themselves through all the shit of life and they feel empty and alone and like maybe they've lost their purpose and they're just like this grinding workhorse, cook, chef, cleaner, all the things with no hobbies. (laughs) (laughs) And I think... It's really shit. And because women of my age are kind of herded out of the media, they don't see examples of how to find themselves, of how they Mm. figure out all that stuff, but they don't see anyone else doing it. There's no representation. So you just get all these broken women in their late Mm. 40s thinking, running around, looking at each other like zombies, just going, what the fuck? So I don't know. I want to figure that out. And it's been wild, this whole scenario, and then – you know, two of my kids are neurodivergent. My son Elio is autistic. And as I started talking publicly about my neurodivergence, I could see how it just wasn't something that was done. And there was really a lot of misconceptions around what it is to be autistic and ADHD and a lot of terrible attitudes out there. And I saw the barriers that were going to be there for my beautiful, darling four-year-old son. And I realised I needed to kind of affect some social change around it, which is What I'm trying to do, I'm trying to make the world a better landing spot for people who are not neurotypical. And that's a really big thing I'm finding out. That's a huge thing. What what does masking look like or feel like for you? Masking for me is, like I said, it's figuring out 
how to play act as a human person. So it's how much eye contact do I make in a situation? What am I doing with my hands? Can I remember their name? Don't special, don't dump if they mention like drag race or mushrooms or like interior designing or, you know, any of the shows or, or, or my hobbies. If that happens, do not info dump on them. Let them speak. Don't bring up examples about yourself. Neurodivergent people connect. If a neurotypical person mentions a scenario or something that's happened to them, we will connect via giving you an example of when that happened to us. Yeah. That can in the end look narcissistic and selfish, so don't do that. Um, and then you go through this whole, don't say anything stupid or direct or blunt, so you're just holding your breath and treading really fast and waiting for the interaction to be over. Yep. And then you go home and you're exhausted. And yeah. I've done that every day for, for, you know, 40 odd years and the accumulation of the exhaustion would just get to a point, you know, a couple of days a week, I'd have to go like not get out of bed or I'd be really angry and I'd get home and explode at my family and I'd have no resilience or patience for anything else. So learning the masking happens from a very young age and it happens in girls way more because neurotypical or not, we are told as little girls, be good no matter what. Boys are told be brave, girls are told be good. Mm. And being good means being easy, keeping your head down, doing as you're told, not questioning anything. Mm. Being likeable. Being likeable. And that's a form of masking. Neurotypical girls have to mask as well. They're, they're told to hide themselves away if they don't meet that norm. And I had the double layer of that. And that's what causes anxiety and depression and all of the comorbidities that come with being ADHD and autistic. So for me, letting the mask drop is not hiding my stimming, which is doing a lot of things with my fingers. And I rock when, I, when I'm trying to regulate my emotions and allowing special topic info dumps and telling people I'm not going to be able to email back on certain times or warning people if they ask for my opinion, I'm going to be blunt, advocating more. Um, and it's working and I'm not masking at home. There was a world going on in my brain and there was a world happening in my actual body and how I yeah. was presenting and I'm trying to align those two now. I, I want my brain and my body to be one person rather than having to always split into what's actually happening in my head and how I'm acting in front of the person. When I can align them, the mask is gone and that's what I'm working to kind of bring together. When I was doing a bit of a deep dive a couple of years ago when a few of my friends, including you, had been uh, told they were neurodiverse, um, and I'm sorry I'm not crediting folks because I don't remember things, but I recall reading a piece that said if you're neurotypical and you feel like you don't understand how it can be exhausting to act very much, inverted commas, folks, normal, mm. uh, the try going out for a night, go to a party, go to an event or whatever, and try to speak for the whole night in a lower or higher voice than you have. And oh, yeah. do not speak without doing that. And so I tried it. Like I went out and I was like, I'm going to speak in a lower voice deliberately. And I tried mm. to do it all night. I was, I have never been so tired. And that was one thing that was forcing myself to do one thing that did not come naturally to me for a night. And I was wrecked when I got mm. home. The idea of having to hold dozens of things in your head that you should or shouldn't do that aren't what comes naturally. Mm. Like I cannot even begin to understand how overwhelming that well, would feel. 
like I'll walk into a party first I'll hear the, the glasses clinking people are in the kitchen cooking I'll hear knives and fork drawers then I'll start to hear the music I'll hear the humdrum of the conversation there'll be a dog barking outside then I'll hear the traffic and then I'll walk into the room and then the music will get louder I'll hear all the voices I don't know which conversation my brain's going to land on and then I've got to look someone in the eye and figure, remember their name when they tell me which I'm not going to do and then all the time all these things are coming in and my brain takes them all in at 100 my brain cannot manage which one is more important I'm trying to have the conversation remember how much eye contact I've made is it too much is it too little I don't know what did they say again fuck oh my god they've mentioned drag race I'm going in shut up shut up and then I walk away and then I'm exhausted and I'll go home and I lay in bed and I'll forensically stock take everything I said that night and I fucked up 15 times and then I feel like do I email that person and apologize oh my god and this happens to me every time I'm in a situation where I'm around people I don't really know and it it's exhausting yeah yeah I'm I feel tired just listening feels very tiring it's yeah but it's hard to explain that to neurotypical people Mm. it is Mm. And then you layer on top of that in your case that you are a neurodiverse person advocating for another neurodiverse person, people I should say, but particularly your son because he's still so young, Mm. in systems that are built for neurotypical people, Mm. right? So Mm. you're trying to advocate for Elio to have an experience of education of the world, whatever it might be, Mm. in a system that doesn't necessarily make it easy for you to navigate. How's that been going? It's scary and overwhelming and big and raw and I'm finding every time I have a slight opinion and it feels like every time I speak I'm challenging the very core of people on this topic. Mm. I recently talked about how I believe that therapies around autism and early intervention should be affirming therapies, neurodivergent affirming, rather than teaching kids to hide their stims, teaching them how to mask, teaching them neurotypical scripts. Why aren't we celebrating the way that they communicate and teaching the ways of the neurotypicals like a language, right? It's not the correct way, but here is a language of other people that you may want to learn but at least making them aware of that language, not telling them that their language is wrong and they must learn neurotypical, but it's just another tool for them to have in their belt. There's a lot of new occupational therapists who do participate in neurodivergent affirming therapies, but there's still a lot of old school ones out there who are teaching kids not to stim, to hide who they are, and they're getting them very young and that's when they're developing their sense of self. And I just questioned (laughs) if maybe we could flip that script and celebrate who they are and affirm who they are and maybe even teach neurotypical kids about neurodivergence. Imagine that. Imagine if Mm. we did that. And it really challenged a lot of people. And I find, and you would know this too, in the disability space, it's fraught because it's so underloved and not and it's so neglected that when there's even a chance that maybe there'll be some funding or some change, people panic and their sphincters purse and they just want the, you know, they just want to make sure their story gets heard because they're just so neglected. And I, every time I speak in this space, it's also tough with autism because I'm not a profoundly disabled autism person. My autism presents differently. And so I can't speak on behalf of all autistic people and I would never pretend to. And Elio's challenges are different to other kids' challenges. So it's, it's tricky. Mm. But I do think that if we educated the community better on a whole and allowed neurodivergent kids to celebrate their strengths, 
the way that they are different would impact on them less. And that's all I'm trying to achieve selfishly for my kid. (laughs) It makes me think of um, the idea that, come with me on a tangent for a moment. Oh, I'm a tangent queen. Do it. When Julia Gillard was prime minister and Mm. she lost the prime ministership, there was a lot of sort of discourse about, well, you know, we gave one of those woman ones a go and that didn't Mm. work very well, so maybe we shouldn't do it again. (laughs) But in New Zealand recently when Jacinda Ardern stepped down, she's the third woman prime minister of New Zealand. So it's just that little bit more normal. And so she was able to be assessed more on her merits. Mm. You know, what did we like? What did we not like? What did she do that was good? What did she do that was not good? And she wasn't seen as the representative of all women leaders ever. Mm. Whereas Julia Gillard kind of got got put in that box of like, you represent what it's like to have a woman prime minister. And when I when I hear you talk about being neurodiverse and raising a neurodiverse child, there are so few spaces where that conversation is happening. There are Mm. so few people who have the celebrity status you do who are having those conversations that there's almost this pressure from the community of, oh, my God, finally one of us. But when there's only one, Mm. there's almost an expectation that you have to be my Mm. person, you're my horse in the race, you have to be everything I want you to be. So you can't say or have an experience or do something that doesn't exactly accord with me because you're the only one who's out there representing us. And the only way we move away from that and give more space for you and Elio to just exist as you and Elio Mm -hmm. in a public space is to have more, Mm -hmm. is to have more representation of neurodiverse people. Mm. Well... My answer to that is you and I both know a lot of neurodivergent people who aren't comfortable being public about it because there is Mm. still a stigma around it. Yeah. But I think I'm so used to occupying the space of stigma. I'm so used to being othered that that didn't bother me. But there are some people that I know that, you know, they don't want that aspect of them being judged or clouding their art or their craft or whatever the thing that they're doing. And also, why would anyone want to talk about it now after seeing what happens to me every time I open my mouth? And whenever I get attacked, initially my feelings are hurt and then the second thing that slams me is, oh, God, this is going to discourage any other person of note to talk about it. You know, it's every time, every time I speak about it, there's a shitty Daily Mail article or some another commentator has an opinion on how I'm just doing it for attention and it takes a lot out of me and it's hard for me to get back up again and do it and I'm not doing it for attention. Why would I want this kind of attention? Every time I talk about it, inevitably it ends up in a space of uh, what does she know because I do not represent everyone's preconceived notion of an autistic person. I do not because all we see is Dustin Hoffman's Rain Man. Mm. And so that's why it's important that I am out there because I'm redefining people's expectations of an autistic person. So it's this cycle that I, I... I feel like I can't win, but it's kind of my job to run in anyway. And I don't know, Jam, it, it's been a lot. and It's probably the hardest thing I've had to do and the most rebellious thing I, I do is just exist as myself publicly in, and take up space as myself because um, that gets criticised and judged and evaluated a lot. Well, for... Those of us who get the benefit of listening to you on your podcast, who get to watch you on TV, get to see you do your stuff, we definitely appreciate it. And thanks for being my guest on the Weekend Briefing. Thanks. And thanks for being my friend. Anytime.
babes. You have been listening to On Topic, a special series by The Weekend Briefing. And that was M. Rossiano, who you can catch on all the social medias to stay up to date on what she's doing. That's it for The Weekend Briefing for another week. I really hope you enjoyed hearing from M. Rossiano as part of a series that we're really proud to bring you. If you want to know more about M, the best thing to do is to go and follow her on social media and you can listen to her podcast on any of the platforms where you get your podcast. The other thing you could do is listen to the weekend briefing there, folks. I recommend that you head to the listener app where you can follow the briefing podcast and never miss an episode or find us wherever you listen. We will be back bright and early on Monday morning where Tom Tilly and the team will have the latest headlines straight to your headphones. Listener.